Welcome to the Stand By My Servants podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree, professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University, explores the lives and teachings of the members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. As we examine the lives and teachings of these leaders, our lives can be edified, enriched, and spiritually strengthened. Now here is your host, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree. Well, I am super excited to be here today with a good friend of mine, Jeff Bednar. Jeff, thanks for coming over today. Yeah, happy to be here. You could have sledded down the hill today That's right. with all the snow. So thank you so much. We're going to talk about Elder Bednar, who's your dad. We're going to also talk about uh, some of his teachings today. But Jeff, before we start, let's just talk about you for a minute and tell us a little bit about you and your journey, your path and where you are today. Yeah, so um, I got a master's degree at the at BYU at the business school. Right. Studied accounting. Um, decided ultimately that I did not have the passion <laughs> to teach accounting for the rest of my life. Right. And decided to get a PhD in organizational behavior. So we went to the University of Michigan where I got my PhD, and then took my first academic job here at BYU in the business school again. Right. And so I kind of feel like my life's come full circle and. I'm actually, uh, for about five years uh, in my tenure here at BYU, I taught a class that I took as a student and was kind of an interesting full circle moment for me. So we've been here about 10 years and uh, my wife and I uh, have seven children and uh, just trying to navigate the chaos of, of every day and, and survive every day. So. Well, I love a lot of your family stories because it just reminds me so much. You were just telling me a minute ago of your broken toilet. And I'm like, it just, <laughs> it was like every day at our house, it was something like that when you have eight kids in, yeah. in your case, uh, seven kids at home. So I'm not real handy though. And so when I experiment and, and try those skills, sometimes it turns out well and sometimes it doesn't. So uh, it's, it's fun to learn though, right? Exactly. I mean, well, I think, it, you know, Jeff, I, um, I actually majored in kind of that same area in organizational behavior. And at BYU in those days, it was called human resource development, mm -hmm. and they never had a home. It was like they just kept bouncing yeah. that that kind of entity around. And we, I, I graduated from the communications school, yeah. and then right after I did that, they moved it into the business school. Yeah. So I think my dad was similar. I think my dad, his degree was actually in the communications department from BYU. Right, right. Um, and then over time, they created a master's of organizational behavior. They called it the MOB. And then they folded that into the MBA program now. And, and so I teach the MBA students in their first semester a class called Strategic Human Resource Management. Right. And uh, so. Anyway, so cool. What a great, what a great uh, thing to be involved in. Well, really quick, um, I want to ask you a few questions about growing up as, you know, uh, you know in the Bedar home and. Of course, at that time, for most of the time you grew up, your dad was a professor at the University of Arkansas. He wasn't yeah. Elder Bednar. But what's it like uh, growing up with uh, two other brothers uh, in the Bednar home? Just talk about that for a minute. Yeah. I think one thing I've realized um, in hindsight is how unique it was to be growing up in the home of an apostle in training. Right. But obviously at the time, we had no awareness of, of what the future would hold for, for him and his responsibility. Um, if I had to describe my home in, in a couple of phrases or a couple of values, I'd say it was extremely loving and supportive um, and also characterized by really high expectations. Right. And so my parents were uh, really good about achieving 
that balance that I've learned is really difficult to achieve as a parent where you're able to expect a lot of your kids, but they were also extremely loving and supportive in that process. And, uh, I, I just think about, you know, one of, one of my lasting memories of, of my dad is just, um, the time he spent investing in us. He would wake up really early in the morning to get work done. Uh, he would, uh, work at the university till, uh, kind of late afternoon, but he would often be home by about three thirty or four. Right. And wow. He would pull in the driveway and we'd get all excited and, <laughs> and it was time to play catch with dad. And so we'd go out and throw the baseball or throw the football and he'd do pass patterns with us. And, and, uh, and so he, he just always made us a priority because he was busy during the day and, and he was often busy at night with priesthood responsibilities and church callings. And so he, he made it a, a point in his life to be able to be home earlier than normal in order to, to spend time with us. And that's something that always meant a lot to me. He also spent a lot of time coaching our sports teams growing up. Sports was a really uh, important part of our home growing up. My brothers and I all played football, basketball, baseball. Um, and, uh, and so sports were important in our home. But in hindsight, I, I realized it was really, in some ways, a vehicle to build relationships uh, together and also with my dad. And, and he spent a lot of time coaching our baseball teams, our basketball teams, our football teams, and uh, just invested a lot of time in us growing up and, and always felt like he was there for the things in our life that were important to us. Yeah. Jeff, you've told me before, but I want to, I want you to say it again and I won't, I won't tell you what to say, but I'll just, I'll just lead you into this yeah. question. But how did that, how did that lifestyle that your dad lived and those sacrifices that he made uh, and especially in terms of coaching, you know, meaning being, you know, being at the crossroads, being home early every day. How do you think that affected you and your brothers and your professional uh, decisions, but also just your lives as future dads? Yeah, I think one of the things that I always thought about my dad's career was that it seemed like he was really satisfied with it. He was really engaged and excited about it. Right. Um, and he got to do some really unique things professionally, um, had a really unique relationship with Walmart and, um, had a, a chance to work with Sam Walton himself to design their management training program, uh, in, in Walmart's corporate headquarters. Yeah. And so wow. he spent a lot of time working with Sam Walton, helping him design that, um, and, and got to teach students. And, and that seemed like something he just absolutely loved and enjoyed. Um, and then got to do some research as well. And, and so it just always seemed like he was really satisfied with his career. And the older I got and started to learn about different career paths and, and different options, you know, there were certainly career paths that seemed like they made more money and, and could maybe result in, in more financial prosperity. But I just always wanted a career like my dad's where I felt like it would be something I was very satisfied with, engaged with, excited about. Right. And, and would provide a comfortable living. Um, but more than anything, I always wanted to be the type of dad that my dad was and be able to, to be as present for my kids and involved in their lives and be able to invest in them in the same way that he was able to do that for us growing up. So I have uh, my oldest brother, we actually jokingly sometimes refer to him as the black sheep okay, because he's an orthodontist <laughs> yeah, and uh, he's not a business school professor. Um, but he also does some, uh, some work at the University of Louisville. He helps to uh, uh, 
teach in their orthodontic residency program. So he's associated with the University of Louisville and teaches uh, in orthodontics. Right. And then I have another brother who's a professor of strategy at the University of Illinois. And uh, and then I'm a business professor of, of organizational behavior here at Brigham Young University. So all three of us have, have very much... Uh, been captivated by the desire to teach and to engage in, in research and, and lifelong learning. And uh, also, I think a, a big reason why all of us have chosen these career paths is because of the flexibility that they provide to be, you know, a very present father in our homes. Yeah. Oh, man, I I think that's so cool. That's like that's like a high batting average when every <laughs> every sibling in the family, every every son ends up following the footsteps of their dad. What yeah. a great what a great impact. Uh, Jeff, what would you say is something about your dad that that no one knows? And I, and I share that, and I'll, I'll I'll pad this a little bit by saying that in our Living Prophets class this week, we just talked about Elder Oaks. And one of the things I really wanted to convey to the students is that the Elder Oaks that you see speaking in such a formal way in general conference with his perfect radio voice, that's not really who he is. He's actually much more laid back and very people-oriented. And he's just different. He's very different than what our students probably think that he is. And I, my guess is that your dad would probably be like that too in some ways. Yeah. Um, I, there, there's probably lots of uh, ways I could answer that question. I, I think one of the things that most people probably don't recognize or appreciate about my dad is, is just his tender heart. Mm, and also yeah. his sense of humor. Uh, you know, yeah. he, I think sometimes he has a little bit of an intimidating persona. And sure. people, people might be a little bit intimidated by by uh, their initial impressions of him. But uh, it's interesting that when you watch many of his messages, you know, he has multiple moments in those messages where he gets quite choked up and, and yeah. emotional because of, of the way that the, the spirit impacts him and, and his heart. Uh, so he, he is very tenderhearted and and uh, a very compassionate person um, and uh, also has a really fun sense of humor. And uh, growing up, one of the the games we used to play in our house, it was called Monster Chase. (laughs) And so dad would go and and hide, you know, and and then we would try to find the monster and, and he would just jump out and scream at us and scare the living daylights out of us. And, and then we'd run to the, the home base and he'd grab us and tickle us. And, you know, just was just a, a really fun, loving uh, dad growing up. And, and I think still has a, a really great sense of humor. Yeah. When we get together in the, in the summertime with, with all of our family, uh, at least once during that week, uh, something will be said or something will happen that will just, uh, make him laugh to the point of tears. And, and when he laughs his hardest, you know, he, he has tears that, that just kind of come out of, come down his face and, and it's, it's pretty funny. So oh, that's uh, I, great. I think sometimes people don't appreciate the, the more tender sides of him and the more humorous sides of right, him. Right. Right. Oh, that's so great. You know, Jeff, this is, there's so many things that we're going to talk about today that are just so selfish on my part, because I want to, I want to, I want to learn all these stories. But one of the things I've I've kind of loved reading about is your dad and his relationship with his dad. His dad seemed to have such an influence on him. And I even think of of the perception, you know, we have this perception of Elder Bednar as, as pretty structured and ordered. And, and it feels like his dad was like that. You yeah. know, I, I have that story of that every tool is, you know, there's an outline of it in the garage. And did you know your grandfather that much? And, and tell us a little bit about him and what he was like. Yeah. My, my wife sent a little meme to her family this last Thanksgiving break. 
And it said something to the effect of, uh, you know, the, the fastest way to understand your spouse is to go and spend time with their family. Right. And uh, that, that kind of struck me because I really do think we all are a product of the, the context, the environment, the, the, whole fam- system. the family that we were raised in. Right. And one of the things I've always, I don't know if uh, the, the best way to describe it, I, I'd say one of the things I've always wished is that I had a chance to know my Bednar grandparents better. Hmm. Uh, my my grandmother died when I was in first grade, okay. and my grandfather died when I was in sixth grade, and so I didn't really know either of them extremely well, or or have a really good uh, sense of who they were, just because they they passed away when I was so young. Pretty so young. Yeah. Most of what I understand about my grandparents is uh, are, are things that I've learned through stories and and things that that others have told me, but. Uh, my, my grandfather, uh, he was a tool and die maker, which is a very precise profession right? and requires a lot of uh, skill and, and precision to make tools and to make the dies uh, that he was making. And so he, um, I, I think that precision of his profession uh, certainly w- was a part of, of who he was and, and his personality as well. I know you mentioned this on your podcast the other day, but uh, you know, as it was described to me by my dad, they had almost like a, a cork board on the <laughs> wall of their garage. And uh, my grandpa had outlined, you know, every tool when he hung it sure. so that if there was a tool missing, um, that he would know. Right. Um, my my grandpa, you know, some, some of the stories that uh, I remember about my grandpa revolve around, you know, things that you, you already shared in, in your last podcast, but, um, you know, he, he at one point studied to, um, become a Catholic priest and, and kind of took some steps down that road to consider that path and ultimately decided uh, not to do that. Um, but we have a pretty strong Catholic heritage on my bed and our side. <laughs> right. I actually have a great aunt, uh, who, uh, passed away a few years ago, but she was a nun and, okay. uh, lived and worked in a convent in, in, uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. And, and so we have a, a pretty long heritage of, um, a, a strong Catholic foundation on, on my bed and our side. Yeah. But yeah, my, my grandpa, I think was, was just a really hard worker. Um, he was really precise. Um, and, uh, my grandpa had a little bit of a, of a, uh, a swearing problem. <laughs> he, I, I think had a, given the environment that he worked in and, sure. and his profession, I, I think pretty normal. Um, but, but he, he swore quite frequently. And, and so some of the, the stories that I remember about my grandpa growing up usually involve kind of funny swear words and, and things that he would say. And, and towards the end of his life, he couldn't hear very well. And so when he would speak and sometimes swear, he would do it pretty loudly so that other people could hear. And, and uh, anyway, the, oh, that, that's, that's funny. Yeah. But kind of where we started, I, I actually don't know too much about my grandpa and about my grandma personally. And, uh, and so I think for me, I've always wondered if it would be easier to, you know, just understand my dad better if, if I knew more about sure. his parents and, and the environment that he was raised in. But he was a, you know, he's a convert to the church. He joins the church late in his life. He has to be in his like 70s, I'm guessing when he joins. And so I'm sure there was a lot of things from his past life that he may have carried in. And, but I think that's great. What a, what a great, uh, I just loved 
your dad's relationship with him and the yeah. fact that your dad could speak to him pretty straight up and say, Hey dad, when you get baptized, you've been putting, you've been putting this off for too long. And yeah, well, and one thing I, I would say is as I've learned more and more about my dad's upbringing and to think about, you know, growing up in the place where he grew up in the San Francisco Bay area in the time that he grew up, um, with, you know, a uh, in kind of a part member family with a, a father that wasn't a member of the church. And, and just to think about the miracle it is that he made it out of that context, who he is to me is, is pretty remarkable. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, my, my, my dad to me has always just been, uh, in some ways a miracle, uh, to think about who he is given where he was where he was raised in, in the time era right. that he was raised in. Yeah. Oh, that's so, yeah, it's great to think about, especially during that that time period of the 70s, the early 70s, late 60s. Yeah, pretty <clears> tumultuous <throat> time. What an interesting time to be in the Bay Area. I, the, the, other, the only other thing I would say is, you know, my dad, um, you know, there, there's artifacts that you, you see from from someone's life. And, and I know my dad has, uh, you know, different things that, my grandpa made oh, wow. that are little trinkets and, and little uh, just remembrances that uh, used to be in his home office. I'm sure some of them are still in his home office now and maybe some in his, his office at the church administration building, but um, you know, dice that my grandfather made or a uh, little lock box that, that yeah. he made. Um, and uh, it, it's just, my, I, I do think in the same way that my dad was extremely supportive of my brothers and I growing up. I think he probably learned that from, from his dad. I think his dad was very supportive of him and, and, uh, he would often describe his dad being at his games, uh, when, when my dad was playing high school sports and, and being there to watch him and support him. And, and so I think, uh, from what I understand, my grandpa was always really proud of my dad and just, uh, really, uh, really excited about his successes and his accomplishments and, and was a really supportive dad to him. Yeah, that's so great. Was your was your grandfather alive when your dad was called to be an apostle? He wasn't. Yeah, so yeah. he missed that part, but he got to see it from the, from the other side. So. That's right. Jeff, what kind of impact has your dad had on you as, as a dad? You're, you're a father of seven children. Are there, are there little remembrances that you have or things that your dad taught where you're like, I'm I'm definitely I'm definitely carrying this to the next generation as I work and teach with my own children. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think about the contrast of my dad's upbringing and my upbringing, and I think um, for my dad, he's always described um, that having growing up in a home without a father who held the priesthood and and could. Um, model to him what it meant to be a priesthood holder, Hmm. that kind of became a driving question for my dad as he would ask himself, what would it be like to have a dad who held the priesthood? What would that look like? And and what should I be doing as a dad to really teach my sons how to, how to hold and and exercise the priesthood in in appropriate and, and righteous ways? And, and so I think for my dad, the absence of a father who was able to model that for him enabled my dad to learn things and think of ways to be a dad that were pretty remarkable and unique. And, uh, and I've greatly benefited from that. And now I have the chance to model the things that my dad did uh, in my home. So it's interesting how, um, 
how even though I was raised very differently than my dad was raised, uh, I think hopefully the, the end result is the same, that as, as we really think about that question, you know, what would it be like to be a dad who honors his priesthood, and, and what would it be like to be a dad who uh, truly leads in a home in righteousness? Um, what does that look like? Um, and so some of the kind of unique things that I think um, for me have been very impactful um, I, I don't know if this, this will uh, totally make sense, but my dad would go to interviews with priesthood leaders and he would say to them, uh, I want you to know, bishop or president, that you have a responsibility to interview my son. And uh, before you do that, I want you to know that I've interviewed him first. And I found Jeff to be worthy uh, to serve a mission, or I found Jeff worthy to be ordained to the Melchizedek priesthood, or I found Jeff worthy to be ordained a teacher in the Aaronic priesthood. And so um, I commend him to you as my son uh, for this particular interview. And uh, it's hard to describe the feeling to watch your dad have that conversation with your bishop um, and to, to know that um, your dad cares about you enough to interview you and, and probe and and get a sense of, of uh, kind of where you are and your standing before the Lord. But then to watch him commend you to your bishop or your stake president, that was always a really powerful moment for me. Um, something that, it, you know, as a bishop, I've never seen another parent do, do something like that. And, uh, it's, and it's very home-centered, church-supported. I mean, I've always yeah. felt the exact same way that we as parents should know more about our children than any than any leaders in the ward, and uh, I love how your dad has modeled that throughout your life. That's super cool. Yeah, another thing, you know, just as a as someone that was really busy and and really involved in in different church responsibilities, one of the things that he always did was he tried to include us in those experiences wherever he could. And so in, in the stake that we grew up in Arkansas, the original stake we grew up in was really large. Um, when he would have to go visit a unit, it would require us to, to drive several hours. Sometimes it would require staying overnight somewhere. And so, you know, there were times growing up where as a primary kid, my mom would pack us a lunch or a dinner. Uh, Dad would, you know, get behind the wheel and, and we'd drive to some unit in Oklahoma or Missouri or, or Northwest Arkansas right. and wow. uh, just had a lot of one-on-one time with him in those moments. And, and, uh, and then while he was doing church responsibilities, he'd, you know, have a primary president or, or someone kind of take charge of us and, and kind of help us feel welcome in whatever ward we were in or whatever branch we were in. And, and uh, there, there just were a lot of, I think, important lessons that came out of those drives and those experiences of having to go to different wards and be a total outsider and and uh, integrate into a, a primary class, um, just lots of different things about those experiences that were helpful and and uh, I, I know you shared this on your your podcast. Uh, the but share it again because you never know if anyone's listening. Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, you know, as, as we would drive, my dad would often uh, ask us questions as if he were an investigator, and and. You know, he'd he'd say, "All right, Jeff, uh, I, I, w- I want you to imagine I'm someone that doesn't believe in God." You know, 
how would you teach me about the gospel? How would you teach me about the restoration? Or, or he'd say, you know, imagine I'm in such and such circumstance. You know, how would you teach me about the restoration or the Book of Mormon? What, what are some scriptures from the Book of Mormon that might be helpful to, to share in this, this context or this situation? And there were sometimes as a teenager or as a, as a young kid where you're, you're just thinking, how would I know? I, I'm just a, I'm just a kid, right? <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not supposed to know these things, and, uh, and and so sometimes there there were certainly moments where you just thought, this is crazy. Why why are we doing this? Um, mm-hmm. But then when I became a missionary, I had this real kind of amazing moment of realization that uh, all those hours were my mission prep class, yeah, and all of those hours were getting me ready for the future. And, uh, and so definitely had one of those moments where as an, as an older, looking uh, in the rear view mirror, so to yeah, speak, right. Be- becoming a, in, in my process of becoming a, a man, you look back and you realize, wow, I, I had a really great mission prep teacher. Yeah. And I you had did. a really great mission prep class and, and was really grateful for those moments, even though in the moment, maybe didn't appreciate them. That's so cool. I, I love that. And I love how it's inspiring to me how your dad included you all in his church service yeah. all the time. He included his whole family. And I, you know, there's a couple things you've said that have made me think. And, and, and one of them is, A, you know, back to his, you know, his, him as a father. But a lot of times when you grow up the way your dad did, you have a victim mentality where, well, I didn't really have a dad, so, you know, don't expect much from me. And he just showed that, no, watch this. Talk about elevating and magnifying, you know, his office as a, as a father. But... Also, he's, his inclusion in his, with his family and his priesthood service, you just look at the trickle-down effect that that's had on three sons now who mm-hmm. serve in significant ways in building the kingdom today. And uh, wow, talk about incredible dividends from a dad who actually really knew what he was doing. Yeah. Well, I think just as I look back on, on his example, both as a dad and as a, a church leader, you know, he, the gospel is everything to him, and it's so central to who he is and, and what he is trying to do every day. Um, it's about Jesus Christ and about his restored gospel and, and being a, an exemplar of that and, and helping to uh, spread that message. Um, and, and so he takes it extremely seriously. Uh, he's not casual in his uh, worship or... church worship, right? Yeah. I remember one one time growing up. It doesn't snow a lot in Arkansas, but when it does snow, it can be pretty treacherous. It's a mess. They don't, they yeah. don't have the snow the means or... <laughs> to kind of clear the roads, and and so anyway, we had a, a snowstorm, and and uh, it was it was uh, such that they they had to cancel church, and you know you have people coming from. Pretty long distances. Two hours away. You know, it just wasn't Up and down hills in Arkansas. But it was feasible for us, for our family. And so we drove as a family, and we went to the chapel, and it was only our family. And uh, we had a sacrament meeting just with our family in the chapel of the Fayetteville Ward building. And uh, I just always look back and and think, you know, for my dad, uh, he he was just trying to teach us that... uh, it's important uh, to take of the sacrament and to to go to church and and uh, rain, snow, shine, whatever. <laughs> uh, we're we're going to try everything we can to get there and to to make it happen, yeah. even if it's only our family. And, yeah. And so anyway, that was kind of an interesting, uh, memorable 
experience growing up. That's right. Growing up with with someone of that type of discipleship, it, it rubs off, right? Yeah. So, Jeff, you're a bishop now. How has uh, how's your dad inf- impacted your life and your current calling, would you say? Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because um, I always joke, it is nice as a bishop to have someone like him on speed dial. <laughs> um, I, I visualize I, you with a little red phone on your desk to that's right. just push the My button. Emergency and... contact. Yes. Um, that said, um, one of the things that I've always just uh, admired and, and appreciated, again, maybe more in hindsight than, than when I was growing up, is just the way he, he teaches and doesn't give answers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know you shared this, this story again uh, the other day, but... Um, I, I remember growing up one day he um, I, I wanted to plan a, a priest laurels activity in my ward in Rexburg and so I just thought oh dad has been around a lot of priests and laurels and probably has some great ideas of, of priest laurels activities so I went and I said dad I've got to plan this activity what what ideas have do you have what what have you seen and he uh, he said go grab your book of Mormon and and so I went and grabbed my scriptures and and he said I want you to open to Jacob 1 5 and I can still quote the scripture. Yeah. Uh, wow. It says something to the effect of, for because of faith and great anxiety, it truly had been made manifest made manifest unto us uh, what things should happen concerning our people. Uh, I'm probably getting that a little bit wrong, but um, the, the, the message of that scripture is that because of faith and great anxiety, which to me means a lot of thought and concern and effort, uh, the Holy Ghost can reveal unto you uh, what should happen as a result of the things that you're trying to do or accomplish. And so he, he asked me a pretty pointed question. He said, what do you want to have happen as a result of this activity? And I was pretty struck and thought, I don't know. I just want to do something cool. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, why don't you go and think about what you want to have happen and then come back and let's talk. So... I left and, and kind of thought, what do I want to have happen as a result of this activity? And uh, felt like I had some promptings and some inspiration that in Rexburg, we were not in a, in a situation where there were a lot of people that weren't members of the church. And a lot of us were trying to prepare for missions. And, and, and so I just thought, what do I want to have happen? I want people to leave this activity with greater confidence that they can be missionaries and, and share the gospel with people who aren't members of the church. So I came back to my dad and I said, Dad, I, I think I know what I want to have happen. Uh, I want to do something focused on missionary work and I want people to leave with greater confidence that they'll be able to share the gospel with other people. And he said, that's awesome. Let's, let's talk about some ways we can make that happen. Hmm. But that type of interaction with him is, is really not uncommon where you come to him with a question and through the questions that he asks and the way that he teaches and guided, guides you, uh, what ultimately ends up happening is that you find your own answers and you uh, become more capable yourself. Now you're growing. Uh, and, and, and you realize I have the capacity to act for myself and, and to solve my own challenges and my own problems. And so I think uh, as a priesthood leader, you know, I often reflect on that question if we're planning a ward activity or uh, we're planning a, a youth activity, what do I want to have happen? And uh, seek guidance and inspiration for that uh, in those different responsibilities. I think that's so, wow, it's so great. And I, I love it because uh, 
Jeff, my tendency is to want to give answers sometimes, yep. right? Or, and it's actually more difficult, I think, and it requires a high degree of discipline to be able to not give the answer, especially with our own children. When it's so, it would be so easy to yeah. just tell them how to do do it. Yeah. One last. Oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say an, another lesson that uh, I, I often think about when when he was called to be a state president. Um, I think the presiding authority was, if I remember right, it was Burke Peterson, uh-huh. um, who was a, a general authority, and and he said, President Bednar, your job is to raise up a generation of righteous priesthood leaders who will come after you and who could replace you. Um, and my dad has always taken that uh, that uh, that that teaching that very charge, seriously. Yeah. That charge, yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. That that charge. Um, and, and he spent a lot of time in Arkansas, um, really helping to grow people's testimonies and grow their leadership capacity. And he was not afraid to look outside the box and call someone to a calling that maybe, uh, didn't fit the prototype and then work with that person, uh, to, uh, to grow into that calling and and be successful and he's just always been incredibly good at identifying people, uh, seeing the potential that they have in themselves, even sometimes when they can't see it themselves, and being able to pull that out of them through experiences and through his support. Uh, he's incredible at, at developing leaders and, and developing other people. I think that's so great. Wow. Uh, what a great uh, teaching and uh what a great influence he has been, I think, on developing other leaders. No question about it. And then the last thing I'll say there is about, in line with that, is just he has always trusted the youth and seen in youth incredible capacity. And I think uh, has really been influential in shaping the way that we now work with youth. And, and I think that's always been a part of, of his leadership style. And, and who he is and, and what he's trying to accomplish is, is really helping the youth to develop I think leadership he was, capacity. I, don't, I, mean, I mean, your dad probably wouldn't be happy if I said this, but I, but I think a lot of the credit lies on his shoulders to some degree of what you just said in terms of a major shift where we are trying to prepare our youth to be leaders. But his whole message in 2011 on uh, family history work yeah. and putting that on the youth I mean, just to, to think of where we are now with our youth and their engagement in temple and family history work. And I feel like your dad's talk was landmark, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of set the tone of, okay, guys, your generation has been prepared specifically to do this, so let's go. It was yeah. pretty cool. Well, and it, it's, it's really amazing to see how when he'll go on an assignment or uh, get to know a teacher's corn president, Hmm. And uh, and then he'll follow up with that teacher's quorum president and, and kind of say, you know, we talked about these things that you could do. Uh, how's it going? And, and, you know, to just think that an apostle would uh, care and, care and minister one by one to a, a teacher's quorum president and help him be successful in that role, um, to me, has, has always been a, a really cool example of just treating the youth uh, according to their potential. And, and really trying to draw that out of them and, and help them to rise up and, and be leaders even in their youth. Yeah, and if they don't participate, I just love the idea that you know participation leads to conversion, and your dad knows that so well, and yeah. he, he really has tried to engage the youth, and I, 
We've loved watching him do that. Jeff, thank you so much for being so gracious and sharing your time with us today. Some of the great insights from your family life. And we really, really appreciate that. That just opened our eyes to uh, a wonderful world of, of growing up in the bed in our home. And we look forward to being with you next time when we talk about the teachings of your father, Elder Bednar. And thank you, Jeff, and thank you, everyone, for being with us today. We look forward to being with you next time.